Welcome to Counterbalance Conversations, the program that enables and encourages you to make the changes you need to make a true difference in our world. Your host is Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. Our hope is that by hearing from people who have stood out and made a positive change in their community, their lives, and their world, you'll feel the need to do the same. Now, here is Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. Hi, and welcome to Counterbalance Conversations. If you're new to our show, thank you very much for uh, coming in and listening to us. And if you are returning, thanks for returning and listening to us. This week, we're going to be talking with Brad Latour about entrepreneurship, business development, and the magic of mentoring. Brad Latour is the Director of Enterprise Sales in the Mid-Atlantic region, for Five9, a leading customer experience software software platform recently announced to be acquired by Zoom for $14.7 billion. Prior to joining the amazing team at Five9, he has spent the last 25 years working in startups and early stage growth companies, often as a founder, co-founder, or early executive in sales and operations. While much of his career has been in the technology sector and more recently in mobile, he also took a detour into product development in the health, wellness, and fitness vertical, inventing a patented wellness and fitness product that triggered a brand new category. Brad often wonders why he's so attracted to startups and early stage companies, and he believes it's his draw to the excitement of having to figure it out. When not working, Brad is a beaming with pride, hashtag girl dad, supporting his four daughters navigate through life. He'll be entering his 11th year coaching youth soccer this fall, having coached with coached all of his girls at some point. He is also completing his sixth and final year on the board of directors for the Chesapeake Region Accessible Boating, a nonprofit using sailing to enhance the lives of the disabled, recovering warriors, and children from at-risk neighborhoods. He served as the president for four years using this his entrepreneurial grit to increase their cash reserves by 20 times, tripling their top-line revenue in 24 months, and led the first of its kind building of an adaptive boating center in Annapolis, Maryland. This was a $4 million project with funds contributed by the state, county, and city. This is no small accomplishment. So welcome, Brad. That was quite the mouthful, and you have so many accomplishments, which I already knew from our um, our previous experience. Thank you, Melissa. It's great to be here, and I really appreciate all the kind words. And... Um, so the audience knows we've known each other a long time, haven't we? <laughs> we, have. we, we go have, back, as they say. We do. And um, so, so the audience knows I worked, we worked together um, about 20 years ago in a startup organization. Um, and you were uh, my leader, part of my leadership team, and you were my, I was direct report to you. And this was in my late twenties, cough, cough. And um, you were one of my first mentors. You were my first male mentor in a corporate environment. You were my first corporate mentor. And um, I've always remembered a lot of the lessons that I learned working with you and really appreciated a lot of the opportunities that you gave me. So I wanted to share some of that verve with my uh, my listening audience and give them the benefit of some of that knowledge. Uh, yeah, that so, sounds great. It's, I, I, I'd love to take that a walk back with you, gosh, over 20 years. It was. Um, <laughs> But Go in ahead. some respects, certainly feels like yesterday, doesn't it? It absolutely does. When we first reconnected, um, we said, wow, we've really grown up a lot. And um, so that was really a fun conversation, which is how we got to the interview as you and I were talking about 
the and we started talking about mentoring, which we'll talk a little bit later in the show about that. But um, you were the first person to actually put me in an executive boardroom and give me a seat at the table, so to speak. And that experience was something that I carried with me because it gave me the opportunity to understand that, or I thought that the glass ceiling didn't exist and that I did deserve to have a seat at the table and that my voice should be heard in the executive boardroom. Um, And the fact that I was invited back gave the entire team, I give them credit as well for inviting me back to that boardroom several times uh, for opinions. So I wanted to thank you for that uh, publicly. Well, you're quite welcome. And it was earned as most most things in life are, they're not given, they're earned and you deserve a seat there. So um, I was, I was happy to extend it. Thank you. So why don't we kind of kick off a little bit uh, with your entrepreneurship story? Why don't we start there? And um, yeah. so for the first half hour, let's kind of talk about um, entrepreneurship and let's talk a little bit about sales and business development and what kind of gets you jazzed about that? And let's talk about how we can uh, help some other entrepreneurs and sales folks kind of with some some of your wisdom. So tell me sure, a little bit about your do. knowledge. Happy to do that. And I think, you know, for the, for the benefit of your audience, um, I would love to keep it very authentic. I think one of the challenges of entrepreneurship is young entrepreneurs, not by age, but by when they get into a new project, uh, they think about, well, I'm going to be the next person on the cover of that magazine. I often tell people, even to myself, when you start to reach success, it oftentimes is the 20-year overnight success story because all the, the hard work and the grind and the failure and the lifting yourself up that's really not talked about. It's not terribly sexy for people to be inspired by a bunch of failure, but that's really what it takes. And, you know, it's funny. I, I, I joke a little bit with my wife and now that I'm at five, nine and, and I'm affording some of the, the nice benefits of you know, working for a larger company, I've kind of done it in reverse order for the first 25 years of my career. I was usually in startups, um, Look, always looking over my shoulder. How are we doing on cash flow? Can we hire? Do we need to cut back? Uh, where are we? Where are we on sales today? Where are we on product development today? So to be in an environment where that is not the concern, and you're just constantly in a position of moving forward, uh, it's very different. Um, certainly, as as I talk to and continue to mentor folks in and around startups and entrepreneur businesses. Um, I always start with the unglamorous because that's most of it. It's hard. It is always hard. And to think anything different um, is, is really just tricking yourself. So um, those that are ready and they want the grind, um, I say try it. Uh, but it isn't for everybody either. And I think Certainly, one of the things that's probably been over-glamorized is that you know, every entrepreneur is successful. Just like every small business, most entrepreneurs fail. And even successful entrepreneurs have failed at some point. Um, even their latest venture is not the most successful venture. In fact, I was just talking to a good friend of mine who I've known for 40 years. We've been friends since grade school. Very successful serial entrepreneur. In fact, his most recent venture was maybe one of his biggest failures. It was in the CBD and cannabis um, kind of gold rush out West. And, you know, he told me in our conversation that the CBD oil, I think it was oil that he was selling was for say $10,000 per whatever the unit was. And now he can't give it away because there's such a glut in the market. So it is really, really hard. It's always really, really hard. And it doesn't stop even when you get to levels of success. To take a business from zero 
to a million dollars is an absolute heroic effort. It's super difficult, super hard. And I think because many of the headlines are, you know, one or two lines, you know, people almost scoff at building a million dollar business. I mean, if it's a profitable million dollar business, that that can be pretty compelling. Um, but we're so focused, I think, all the time on, oh, well, it's got to be nine figures or it's not successful. Conversely, there are plenty of nine figure businesses out there that make no money. Now, I realize mm-hmm. I'm in the minority. I don't judge success based on how much money you've raised. I judge success if you can build a product or service for a dollar and sell it for two and make a profit. A lot of these businesses are not real businesses. They're hobbies. Uh, They're kidding themselves. And unfortunately, a lot of small businesses go into pretty significant debt when, frankly, they should just stop, close Mm -hmm. down the business and go on and do something else. That is really tough for people to come to grips with that because that's kind of an ultimate failure on giving up. But sometimes that's the right move. Um, and the market always decides. It doesn't matter how hard you work, what you think is valuable is irrelevant. The market makes that decision. Mm-hmm. So, um, And I, I agree with so many of those points. And as a kind of serial entrepreneur, I mean, I've had some type of business since I was probably 25. And it's... Um, and I've had more modicums of success and sometimes I've had extraordinary failures. And, um, you know, I'm always, I've always been fortunate to have that entrepreneur mindset of, yes, I would like for this to be successful, but I always have known when to pull the plug uh, on the business and say, okay, maybe this is not what the market is looking for right now. And I find that sometimes I'm ahead of the game and I'm too early to market. And so I can see where things are going. So sometimes you can be too early to market or maybe you're too late. So it sounds like maybe your friend was kind of early to market, but then had a lot of competition move in right at um, the time that he was starting to get some uh, some traction. No, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, there's there's businesses littered on the floor of who were quote unquote, the first, oftentimes the first is not the one that makes it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, social media is a great example of that. And MySpace and Friendster and, you know, social media has been around, you know, for many, many years long before, you know, what we know of today is the Facebooks and Instagrams and Twitters. And, you know, there was, there was a whole host of businesses that just didn't make it. And that Mm -hmm. happens all the time. And, You know, sometimes you're just, to your point, you're a victim of timing. It's not, you know, what you did right or what you did wrong. Sometimes it's timing. And in in fact, you know, our business at 5.9, we were one of those significant beneficiaries of the pandemic when brick and mortar shut down. Those businesses still had to sell products and services to their end user customers. So naturally, they, they used a, you know, contact center, you know, chat or email, you know, good old fashioned 800 numbers to do that. And that's what our platform does. So we saw a significant increase, uh, both from existing customers, but also from brand new customers, because it, it, you have to find a way to service and have direct outreach with your end user customers. And, you know, I think you're right. And, and the fact that you had the fortitude and self-awareness to not hang on, not go into debt, but just recognize I need to, you know, kind of put a pin in it and right. call it, call this chapter over. It doesn't mean you can't go back and revisit it, of course, but in that instance, you know, that takes a lot of maturity. And um, again, because it's not really talked about that much in and around the discussion of entrepreneurship, all you hear about is success. When you fail, you start to, you know, be your own worst enemy to say, well, am I the only one that failed because everybody else and every news story and everything I see on social media uh, depicts only success. And, and that's just unrealistic. Right. And I also, as a, as a coach, am one of those folks that 
are benefiting a little bit from the pandemic and some of the post pandemic. Um, a, a lot of people are looking to make a change. They're not sure what that looks like. So as unfortunate as the pandemic has been and, and traumatic for a lot of people, a lot of businesses, um, I've also been a beneficiary from that. So I feel very fortunate. Um, in your, you had written a book called the ahas of weight loss when you stepped into your uh, entrepreneurial, your own personal entrepreneurial journey and you talk in uh, all the exercises in the book are called you and the mirror. And it's about, <laughs> which I love that uh, because it can be, uh, that can be a, a analogy across an entrepreneur as an entrepreneur as well, because sometimes as an entrepreneur, in my experience, it had, sometimes it is just you in the mirror. It's not your friend sitting there at, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night, midnight, working after work. They're not the ones that are doing it with you. So sometimes it's just you in the mirror and pushing yourself forward. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the metaphor of the mirror pretty much fits everything in life. I mean, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, myself trying to blame a situation or an outside influence or my kids or a coworker or a friend, at the end of the day, it's always us in the mirror that has the ability to make a choice, to change our environment, to make something different, to reset expectations. Um, and, and to me, it's really kind of a waste of time to dwell on things you cannot control. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking in the mirror to say, well, what are you going to do about it? Uh, it's right. always a great place to start. Uh, because it gives you that control as tough as it is, because it's way easier to blame the, the market, the conditions, um, you know, your boss, your friend, your cousin, like that's just way easier. It's a free pass. But if you really want growth, development and change, it starts with you. And I'm, I'm sure you talk mm -hmm. to your clients all the time about that, especially if they're in the middle of considering a, you know, a job change, a career change, maybe even a geographic change. That's certainly happening an awful lot right now. It is. It is. And I do talk to them about that. And then another point that you brought up also in your book was keeping it real and really just keeping everything realistic. Um, and I talk to my clients about that a lot because if you're not authentic, you're not honest with yourself and you're not honest with those around you and you're not walking the talk, doesn't matter what business you're in, um, your business development, your sales are going to reflect that you're not authentic. Your clients aren't going to believe you. They're not going to think that you are um, legitimate uh, and they won't be able to relate to you. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, and I think people are, they, they can seek out authenticity as, you know, fake or real, uh, mm -hmm. better than ever before. And, um, you know, as human beings, we're relatively forgiving. Um, but if you outright lie and deceive me, that's harder to overcome. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I think, you know, being honest with yourself, whether it's, um, you know, health, wellness, job, relationships, family, now, listen, if you're going to, go on vacation for a week, well, you know, you probably should expect to gain a couple of pounds and have a good time doing it. You know, why, why put yourself in a position to not enjoy a week off at the beach? Uh, that's a great time to indulge and, you know, tell yourself, yeah, put it on your calendar. When I get back on Monday, I'm going to go back to my daily workouts while I'm, while I'm on vacation during the week. Um, I'm not going to do my normal workout, but you know what I am going to do? I'm going to walk on the beach. Um, I'm going to go for a bike ride. Um, and you know, it's, it's funny. I'm not, I'm not really in the fitness business anymore. Um, but one thing that I still do is I don't like to do a traditional workout over the weekends. I like to alternate it with maybe yard work or, you know, taking a walk in the neighborhood or, uh, doing a stand-up paddle or a kayak, something that's, you know, just 
more non-traditional, but still gets the endorphins going and, you know, might get you a good sweat going that type of thing. So the -hmm. variety uh, is a good way to disguise it. So it doesn't feel so mundane and repetitive. Yes. And I think that's good advice, even for, um, you know, we were talking about entrepreneurs on their daily, if you are working from home, you know, by yourself and you're doing the grind and you've, for some reason, you're not, you don't have a full-time job doing some of those same type of things and changing that variety up is a really great way to kind of get the juices flowing again. As totally well. agree with that. Totally yeah. agree with that. Especially, especially when we're working from home, um, you know, some, some roles were remote before the pandemic, but even those roles that were remote, a lot of them incorporated some sort of travel, especially in the sales environment. So yeah, you have a home office, but you're also traveling to see customers, go to events, um, that, you know, that type of thing. So a lot of that was taken away. So you're really relegated to only your home office. So even remote workers have had a lot to deal with just in, in an overall change environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so, you know, we've been kind of touching on sales, touching on business development. How uh, how has it changed during the pandemic for you? Yeah, that's a great question, Melissa. I think, you know, fundamentally, sales and business development is still the same. It's a people business. People buy from people. Um, I think the tools have changed. The tools have augmented. Uh, certainly, my my future employer is now basically, you know, a verb, just like, you know, Kleenex and tissue in, in, in the day that we all went from face-to-face meetings to Zoom meetings. I actually even attended a Zoom wedding last year with a, a, a cousin. So it, it's the tools themselves have changed. I think the end result, people buying from people and the yearn for that personal connection is still the underlying um, kind of foundation of it all. And that is, uh, that's still critical. So, you know, the, the same tools apply, email, social, making telephone calls. The component that has suffered the most is being able to get together, whether that's an industry event, local or national. Um, you know, you think about you know, trade shows that you circle on your calendar that you're going to go to every year. <clears throat> Those were kind of taken away and and that has been certainly challenging um and it's it's caused us to lean in and leverage technology different ways i mean i don't know about you but certainly zoom um is a staple in my day-to-day and i'm 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 sure it is with you uh you know on the coaching front too because you still get to see people um Mm -hmm. and you know i i certainly don't force the camera but i certainly enjoy it especially for people that i've never never met so um, I, I'm, I'm usually more of a turn it on, uh, see what happens. And even if I'm the only one with it on, but yeah, I, I think the tools have been augmented a bit. Um, and that's pretty natural that, that, that happens over time. I think back to early days of my career, pre-internet, you know, you didn't have any of that. Uh, you didn't have access to things like zoom info and LinkedIn to know, you know, what people were up to and, how can I draw a connection? Are we both alumni from the same college? Do we have any connections, uh, you know, that are, that are the same and common? Um, those things are certainly, you know, made life a, a heck of a lot easier on the sales and business development front. But like anything else in life, Melissa, it's like, what do you do with it? Um, right. Are you are, are you leveraging it or is it just there and you're not doing anything with it? So. Um, I totally yeah, agree, Brad. Eight, <laughs> I totally plus. agree. I mean, how many cold sales emails and calls do you get in your line of work? I'm sure it's enormous. And you know, most of them have done zero research on you as an individual. Um, Generally, yes. And um, <laughs> uh, it was pretty interesting. Uh, I'm going to give them kind of a peek behind the curtain of Voice America um, when, uh, my executive producer actually reached out to me, it was perfect timing. Um, 
and I got an email. It was kind of a cold email, but it 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 was cold for me. I had not even heard about heard of Voice America at that time. And when we when I set up the appointment, which I don't know why I did, I normally don't uh, respond to the emails. <laughs> And there was just something about, I was like, all right, my gut said, do this. And um, when I got on the phone with Tracy, he, they had a research team that did LinkedIn research. They had Google me. They knew all kinds. It was a little scary, actually. Um, Not really. I wasn't, it wasn't like they were stalking me, but it was pretty incredible how many, how much information that they had. That is not something that normally happens with a cold call. Uh, and generally, now I the, the bar has been set. <laughs> I was going to say, to their credit, and now the expectation has risen. It has. Um, so with it, from a business development standpoint, I think they have a great team. And it also gave me some insight into, you know, what what's the additional... Um, the additional research I need to do if I'm connecting with even a new client or a new business connection. So in the next couple of minutes, because we've got about uh, three minutes until we uh, go to our first break, how do you um, leverage your network? I mean, we've talked, you talked a little bit about connecting with people from different um, arenas and connect points like same college, maybe like the same uh, football team, you know, what, what are some of the ways that you leverage your network in order to develop business in a more authentic way now? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And like everything in everybody's business is likely listening. Networking takes effort. And it takes consistent effort. And it's funny you asked the question. I was just having this conversation with my rising uh, freshman who uh, we were talking about friendships. And I think that the pandemic has been very difficult on kids in general. And I think probably even more so on you know teenage girls who really yearn for that interaction, um, whether they find it in you know, after school activities or sports. Uh, that was taken away for a, a solid year. And, and we talked about it. And I, I really just shared with her that it takes work to maintain great friendships. And I still have you know, friendships from you know, grade school and middle school and high school and college. But you know what? I work at it. And every time I'm in a different city, I send them a text or I make, them a, make a phone call. And it does, doesn't mean I need to see them. Doesn't mean I need to see them once a year. Um, I mean, look at you and I, we probably hadn't spoken in, in probably 20 years. Would you say that's accurate? I, I think we touched base whenever you first released your book and your product. And I think we've had some really minor touch points, but yeah. um, we, I always kind of kept up, knew what you were, knew where you were, what you were doing um, through networks. And it was easy for us to pick up where we left off is my point, because mm-hmm. we both, we respect and we honor the, the, the prior relationships. My approach is pretty simple. I try to lead with value first. So if somebody needs something and they're in my network and I know them, I try to oblige. Um, if it's a big ask, I kind of want to know how serious they are before I make the ask. So I will you know, try to get some context to it and understand what's the end game. What are you trying to accomplish? Mostly so I can be uh, a better connector. So I enjoy being a connector. I think I'm pretty good at it. Uh, I'm also a believer in just kind of the the rhythms of the world. If I keep giving and giving at some point, that's going to come back to me. I don't always know how, I don't always know why. Uh, but I just think giving and helping is, is a great way to go through life. And if nothing else, it makes you feel good when you can, when you can help somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty consistent about trying to take that first step. And then when you're in a position where you are asking, I, I, my advice is be specific in your ask. 
don't beat around the bush. Everybody's busy. Uh, they're likely inclined to help you. Uh, if I come across a contact I don't know, but I saw they went to Penn State, and I'm trying to break in uh, to their company, I'll just be very direct. Looks like we both went to Penn State and around the same time. I think there's an opportunity for our company to extend value to your company. Would you mind making an introduction to this person or the person who manages XYZ? Very direct. It's easy for them to say, go pound sand. I'm not going to help you. Or, yeah, you were honest. You were straightforward. You went to Penn State. We've got that in common. Sure, I'm happy to make an introduction. You know, so I, right. I think you, know, you, you talked about that authenticity before. Um, that is a common thread that really, I believe, benefits pretty much anything you do in life is you know, you're straightforward. You're, you're not trying to game some system. But conversely, you know, let's use LinkedIn as an example. I will mm -hmm. definitely decline, you know, 90% of those who are trying to connect with me because they haven't done their homework. It's a generic spammy connection. And right. no, I don't need, you know, I don't need Forex, you know, overseas. You know, how, how could you think I may be interested in that? So right. uh, I'm not a, I'm not a pushover. I do protect my network. Um, and, you know, spamming, yeah, I, frankly, I don't even know why they would want to connect with me. I don't understand the value of that. And mm -hmm. uh, your, your core network, you know, you should have some commonality to it. That's, that's how the yeah. network is valuable to everybody. Sure, sure. Well, if we hold that thought, we're going to go to a break. And then we'll come back and we'll finish talking about the network. And then we'll also go into mentoring. How does that sound? Sounds great. Okay, perfect. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you ready to be the one to change, to stand out from others, and make a difference? Join Dr. Melissa L. Strasser for Counterbalance Conversations. You'll pick up the tools, the motivation, and the desire that you need to make sustainable changes in our world. It only takes one person to be that counterbalance. What if the counterbalance was an entire network of individuals? Think of the changes that we could make. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned into Counterbalance Conversations with Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. Find out more about Dr. Melissa by visiting DrMelissaLStrasser.com. Now back to the show. And welcome back. We're here with Brad Latour. If you missed the first half, we're talking about entrepreneurship, business development, and mentoring. So Brad, before the break, um, I think we, um, I wasn't sure if you had finished your thoughts around how to leverage your network for business development. And you were talking about <laughs> using your LinkedIn and um, individuals spamming and um making sure that people do their homework before they try to connect with individuals. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, not, not to belabor the point, but the, the reality is any good network is a give get there's mutual benefit. Um, it doesn't always have to be at the same time. Uh, I, I, I try to be the first in the give column um, and maybe build up a give credit. So at the, at the time where, you know, there might be an ask. I can feel very good about it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, networks that become out of balance um, usually don't last. So it's, it's why your strongest networks are usually pretty small. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you can certainly have several strong networks. You can have a collegiate network. You know, you can have your, your first job that was really special to you network and, you're an alumni and you still stay connected with those folks, some who may be there, some who have moved on. Um, you know, your family is a network. And I think it, you, those are the things 
that as you think about, you know, all these different circles, how they're connected and how you add value, how you reap value, um, it almost rolls right into the other topic you were talking about before, which is mentoring. Mm -hmm. Uh, And mentoring is just one of those things that kind of goes hand in hand. Um, It's not always official. Uh, Sometimes it just happens. Uh, Sometimes, as you pointed out in the the onset of the show, it is an employee-employer relationship. Um, That's the best part of, you know, what I look at when I'm involved in managing people is Mm -hmm. giving them an an open environment to grow. That's, you know, that is, that's the goal. Um, And it's not about me, it's about you. And I have interviewed thousands of people and I say the same thing every time. I will share everything I know about this particular role. It's up to you to demonstrate you wanna learn the moment you show me you don't want to learn, then I'm probably going to start pulling back. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, mentoring is a two-way street for the mentee and the mentor. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure you go through that with your clients as well. Um, there gets, there's got to be a point of frustration when you're the coach, I would imagine, and you keep hitting on the same topic over and over, but then there's no execution to make change. Absolutely. One of the um, agreements that I do make with my um, coaching clients in the beginning is if you show up, you're going to do your homework. You say you're going to do your homework. If you show up and just say, I just didn't do it. There's not a roadblock. There's not a, you know, a family emergency. And when I say an emergency, I mean an emergency. But if there's not a roadblock that I can help you with, with or um, something that just occurred that it was impossible for you to do the homework, then maybe once, maybe twice. Um, but beyond that, then I will put our relationship on hold until you're ready to fully commit. Uh, and so that's uh, up front uh, with the, within the first uh, meeting that I have with them. And also when I've been managing individuals and mentoring them, and bringing them along and training them. Once I see that there's not any energy coming back there and I'm kind of carrying them, you know, through the process or even dragging them through the process, then I'm like you, I will step back until they're ready because sometimes people think they're ready and then the fear sets in, in some cases. And the fear sets in and they're not as ready as they thought they were to make that transition or that transformation. I call that the be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yes. I think you and I had a moment <laughs> like that a couple of times we whenever did. we were working together. And we um, be I remember. Be careful what you wish for. Yes. Um, but it was a great learning experience. If you're willing to run the gauntlet, uh, if it's a tough mentoring assignment, then uh, you take a lot away from it. And um, I, I think a lot of individuals right now in the, in, uh, with the pandemic are feeling like they're not getting that mentoring that they're looking for. I did some research and Zen, Gen Z, the one that's just coming into the market, they want to go back to the workplace because they're afraid they're going to miss these opportunities for mentoring, building a network. Um, How would you suggest that managers uh, kind of deal with that or help them? Because they like having that face-to-face. They don't want the Zoom uh, feedback. They don't want mentoring by Zoom. They want to actually have face-to-face. And that may not be something that is occurring even in 2021 and 2022 this year. Yeah, it's, I, I guess my first reaction is I'm so happy to hear that that study is there's a desire for mentoring because I think in the most current generation, um, in the millennial generation, you know, I'm definitely not in the camp to just beat up on millennials, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and grab all of the, you know, platitudes that they're this and they're that and the other thing. What I really think is 
they've missed out on an entire generation of great managers and mentors. And Mm -hmm. they didn't necessarily know to ask for it. And um, you had a whole group that is gone or has retired. And I think when I came out of college, my first job, I, what I, what I knew was I didn't want to work in a big, huge organization. I couldn't make an impact. So I joined a small, almost a family run business. And there was only six of us in the office. And basically my mentors were the two owners. So I had incredible access and that's also why I feel a little bit indebted to pay it forward because I know how fortunate I was in the early days. But you can't get that education anywhere. MBA, undergrad, uh, being in it, being kind of in the trenches, as I like to say, with people who have been there before and can really guide you. There's there's just no uh, there's no substitute for that, really. Uh, to your question, how do you overcome not being able to get together? It's a tough question. Um, mm-hmm. I know in our organization, uh, we do weekly one-on-ones. Um, we do them through Zoom, of course. We do do them through video, and it does help. We are also starting to get together uh, face-to-face. Obviously, we're doing it you know, in a, in a safe manner, small groups, um, it's voluntary. So I, I think where there is a, a will and there's, you know, voluntary get togethers, depending on where people are in the country or the world, depending on where they're listening, mm-hmm. um, you have, you, you have more options than others. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we're going to have to rely on technology, unfortunately, a little bit longer. Um, I worry just about people who just kind of, fade away. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have four daughters ranging from fourth grade to junior year in high school, and they all reacted a little differently. Um, One kind of just retrenched into her bedroom more than the others. Um, One was just constantly around, it felt like. The two younger ones really banded together, and they were inseparable, kind of helping each other in a support network. So it I had kind of a live experiment happening in my house. And of course I'm working from home. My wife's working from home. You know, all four girls are doing school from home. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's stressful for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. everyone handles it differently. Just to your earlier example of coaching and commitment and accountability, everybody's a little bit different. So, um, I I think people, they just kind of need to find what works for them. Um, And, you know, being on Zoom all day long is definitely not healthy. Uh, You do need to build in some breaks, you know, like literally in your calendar, put in, you know, a 15 minute walk just to get some vitamin D and walk outside. Uh, I think that's kind of helpful for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. But like everything else, you got to you got to figure it out uh, on your own um, and, and understand what's the right mix for you. Uh, right. there, there's, there's, there's not a magic recipe. I don't think. No. Um, so are you, so with it at five, nine, do you guys have, um, um, is it like an executive mentoring? Do you guys have a formal mentoring program or is it, because I know you're a relatively large organization. So it's, um, you're far from the mom and pop organization. So, how are you ensuring that individuals further down the organization are kind of getting that mentoring? Um, Is it always, is it weekly one-on-ones? Is it that, is it up to the manager? And I, I, and how are we, how are you handling that? Yeah, I think for, for us, first and foremost, the culture is extremely open and transparent. So, Mm -hmm. You know, from our tools, from our CEO, our e-staff, um, yesterday, for example, we did a 90-minute uh, Q2 review of our earnings report, and of those 90 minutes, 30 minutes was open Q&A. Um, you know, you could say anything you want, and shockingly, some people 
in my opinion, take advantage of that. <laughs> I would never say some of the things some people say, but to each his own. But we have a lot of tools. Um, Slack is, is one of our core communication tools. And in addition to just the business of Slack, you and I messaging back and forth or, you know, having a mid-Atlantic, you know, Slack group. They also have all kinds of like groups. There is a, uh, like a, a foodie group. I just heard there's a dad joke group. There's like all kinds of different <laughs> diversity inclusion groups. There's, I mean, there's a group for everything, which it seems a little bit uh, silly, um, but it, in, an, in, in kind of an odd way, it does bring people together and allows them kind of a, a, a place to, to chat. It's almost like you know, the virtual water cooler to talk about stuff that's important to you. Um, sure. But it's, it's that food group. I tell you what, they do like a chop challenge and they are serious and they obviously they've taken photos of all their stuff and video of what they're cooking. Um, so they really do go out of their way to extend reach to staff um, and both informally and formally. The other thing that I think is really nice is there is tons of celebration there is a, a high five channel. Uh, I think there was like 752 high fives. And that's just me, you know, calling you out that you did a great job on something. So they've created the infrastructure to allow people uh, to, you know, give high praise to, to others and acknowledgement. And certainly that's always high on the list of what people are looking for in a, in a job environment. I think, you know, we're in tune to things like Glassdoor. We, we, we take all that seriously. Uh, mm -hmm. They do quarterly surveys. So I think it's a variety of things that, that they really do to keep you engaged. But one thing I do appreciate is they don't mandate. Like it's available, but they don't make you feel guilty if you don't do all of it. Because there's too much to do, frankly. Um, mm -hmm. So they allow you to kind of pick your spots. Anytime there's a new promotion, oh, they 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 really do a nice job of acknowledging from you know the brand new, fresh out of school, you know LDR or BDR who gets promoted to the most senior executive who's been with the organization for several years. They do a really nice job of acknowledging um, you know those achievements, and and you know. I think people feed on that. They, they become proud of their work environment and that all of those pillars are what culture is made of, which is why it's so hard to achieve and it's even harder to maintain. I absolutely love that. I think you have, I think five, nine has created something really special in that culture. And I can even hear it in your voice whenever I talk to you uh, when we're just having our phone conversations and reconnecting that you are extremely happy to work there. You're always um, very positive. And you're, from what you're saying, 5-9 might be the place to work for some of the millennials because they're looking for some jobs right now. And everyone seems to think that, millennials aren't wanting to work and that um, post pandemic, they don't want to work. But uh, some of the research that I did for a presentation a couple of weeks ago said millennials would take a $7,500 pay cut for a better culture. So oh, if yeah. they're, if they're millennials. Always high on the list. <laughs> always high on the list. And we got a ton of openings. I think we hired 300 people last quarter. Um, we're hiring, you know, 59.com. If anybody is interested, there's all kinds of jobs that are open. And if, if culture is high on your list, then take a good hard look at us because I've been doing this, you know, for 30 years. It is the best culture I've ever been a part of. Um, and I've been here a year. So the proverbial honeymoon is come and gone. And I still feel as passionate about this place as I did on day one. And mm -hmm. uh, it feels like home to me. And, and, and that's, uh, that to me is the biggest compliment I could, I could give to the senior staff and all those who are responsible for creating the culture. Yeah. I, I mean, I think what you've just described to me is a kind of the pinnacle 
of one of the best cultures that I've heard of um, as of late. And you're not hearing a lot of positives when it comes to like working environments right now. So it's really nice to be able to promote something um, very positive on this show. So that brings me to kind of our last uh, couple of uh, points that we said we wanted to really talk about, which was um, you're coaching uh, the girls' athletic teams. And when we talked, you had a philosophy that said um, that with for mentoring girls, that was they wanted connection, fun, and positive reinforcement. And that's what they needed to move into a successful uh, environment or a successful mentoring. And can you talk a little bit more about that and how that, how that works at the ages that you're, you're coaching because you coach everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, and it's, it's funny because being a youth coach, in my opinion, helps you be a better manager. Um, giving time to a nonprofit organization allows you to be a better manager and a better professional because they're different perspectives. And you, know, you, you think you might have it tough trying to get your team to do something. I now coach U10, but I've coached every age group from six all the way up to 15. And you know, imagine trying to get 10 seven-year-old girls who have never played soccer before, you know, all going in the right direction. I mean, that can be a challenge. Um, in particular, I think in coaching girls, and obviously I'm biased, I think the number one most important magic ingredient, one, two, and three is positive reinforcement. So uh, if you tell uh, a young player that, you know, you find something, my philosophy is, you know, uh, is a two to one. So it's a two to one ratio where I try to say the first two things out of my mouth is two things positive, one thing constructive. Now, I will tell you, it's not always easy. Um, There are days and the worst part of youth sports is still the parents. And I do a very stern first practice of every season, expectations from you. This is my coaching style. This is the coaching terms that I do. This is how you should support your child. This is how I want you to support the rest of the teammates. These are the names of all the players so that you can you know, give them positive encouragement throughout the game. So I try to actually give them a playbook on how to be a good you know, youth player parent because mm-hmm. so many of them are awful and they really ruin the experience. And, you know, we're out there for the kids. It's not for us. We're out there for the kids, but just because they're seven, I still take the planning, you know, seriously. I still have a playbook. If we have two practices a week, how I want that to go. I still want them to have a great time. And my measurement of success for coaching youth sports. And again, I'm entering my 11th year coaching youth soccer, mostly girls is if they have a good enough time that they want to come back next year, I've done my job. So, you know, I will, I will take any kid at any level and I'll work with them. And it's my job to maximize their individual effort. And of course they're going to get better if they're having a good time and they feel as though somebody's in their corner. So that's why I spend so much time on the positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. And again, the goal, and I, I, listen, I don't do it every, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't do it right every time, but I try to lead with two positive things. Wow, you're really aggressive today. Great hustle. And you remember that one play where you kicked it out of bounds? Next time, maybe think about that one drill that we did on Tuesday where we pulled the ball back and then you could pass it to your teammate. Well, because I led with two positive things first, they're probably more apt to listen to me. Um, right. And then, you know, maybe they'll implement it on, on the next time that they're in that situation. So for me, um, coaching youth sports is, it's all about seeing them grow from the first practice to the last game and what happens. And I, I'm biased to team sports. I've always just enjoyed team sports. And so 
soccer to me is the ultimate team sport. So it really allows, you know, average players individually to excel as a team if they play team soccer. So that's why I enjoy it so much. And, um, it's, it's something that, uh, my deal, uh, and here I am 11 years later with all the girls was I will coach until you don't want me to coach. So if you want me to coach, I'll keep signing up. And it was right. funny, even this year, even this year, I, I asked me and my youngest, I said, so you done with me? And she goes, uh, no, you're coaching. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here I am. Well, and I another think, year. I think that's fantastic because all of those principles can also be implemented. Everything that you just said, we can, you know, we all need to in our work environments kind of implement some of that two positives and a constructive will get you a lot further than coming in um, raging at someone uh, or being passive aggressive at it. So I think that goes to your emotional intelligence uh, conversation that we had earlier in the show with the kind of the last three minutes of the show. Is there any, you know, are there three things that you would like for individuals to takeaway from the show to remember uh, about Brad and this can be about anything. Yeah. You know, I think it's a a great question. Um, You know, for me, be authentic. I I know that is tossed around, but you know, what does that really mean? I mean, be the best version of yourself, recognizing that you're going to change, you're going to evolve and that's really quite healthy. And I think that's a great, uh, you know, learning outcome from the last 18 months that, you know, we've been all locked down, uh, change is great and, and use that change to your advantage is something that, that I would, uh, lean in on. I think we all need to be better listeners. Uh, you know, me included, uh, really just what, what is being said to you and, and how are you digesting that information and, um, I, I think being a great listener is something you, you never master. Uh, it's, it's something that's always evolving, but the more you focus on it, and I'm a big fan of awareness. So the more you focus on it, the better you become. And then, you know, I think it was, as we talk about, you know, the business aspect, um, it's, it's, it's all hard, um, just because you have a bad day doesn't mean you shouldn't wake up the next day and, and get back and, and tackle it. I mean, I use a, a 24 hour rule, something great happens, close a big deal, but really let it sink in and enjoy it for 24 hours and then get back right to it. You lose a big deal. Again, you're, you're allowed to kind of wallow in your pity for 24 hours and then get right back to it. So that's just something I've, I've kind of adopted as I look back at myself and do a little introspective is I give myself 24 hours to really enjoy and, and <laughs> really kind of wallow if something doesn't go great, but then just get right back on the horse and, and keep grinding. Absolutely. I love all three of those, um, those recommendations because it's absolutely true. Uh, being authentic, being a great listener, and then, you know, even if you have a bad day, get back to it. Give yourself 24 hours to celebrate or 24 hours to, as you said, wallow in it uh, and then get right back at it because the next deal is right around the corner. Uh, is So with our last minute, I just wanted to thank you very much for coming on the show and giving me so much of your time. And we actually... You have one in, in the corner for me now. Um, so I really appreciate you bringing the level of value to the show that you have and, and sharing your information, sharing everything with us. It's my absolute pleasure. You know that if there's anything I can do for you personally, I'm in your corner. I'm here to support you. I've loved watching your growth and development over the years. I think that's you know fun for all of us. And I love how you are now paying it forward and helping others. I mean, that's, that's great um, use of, you know, your own skill set. And I'm sure that many, many people are benefiting from it. So kudos to you. Congratulations. Keep up the amazing work. Thanks so much, Brad. 
And as we're closing the show, if you have questions for me to uh, provide to Brad, you can connect with me at coach or counterbalancecoach at gmail.com on Facebook or Instagram at counterbalancecoach, or you can uh, message me directly from the Voice America page by clicking on one of the links. And I thank you very much for coming to listening to our show and hope to have you on next week whenever we have Felicia McQuaid on the show. She is a Reiki master teacher and a coach, and we will be talking about how to move into your purpose. Thank you for listening to Counterbalance Conversations. Be sure to join your host, Dr. Melissa L. Strasser, for another inspiring program next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next program, do something that stands out this week. Make a change. Be the counterbalance.